You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. For 32 years, senior pastor position at Calvary Chapel St. Pete would have Danny Hodges' fingerprint and nobody else's. That's what he called me to. And your fingerprint, nobody else's is like it. What does he have for you? He has something, and it's for you personally. Every believer, he has a plan. And he's laid out the plan before the beginning of time. That's what blows my mind. He chose us, and he prepared in advance. Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you may go and bear fruit. Did you know that God chose you before he laid the foundations of the world? In today's message from Pastor Danny, he teaches that God has a specific plan for your life, and he prepared it in advance. There is a specific work that God has called and appointed you to do. His desire is for you to bear much fruit within the abilities that he's given you for his glory and his kingdom. This should give you a relief, knowing that he has prepared appointed work for you and that he is present to help you fulfill it through him. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Acts, chapter 19. wasn't ordinary. And as sure as I'm standing here right now, speaking this message, if you determine not to be ordinary in your Christian life, God will do something extraordinary in and through it. He will. Because that's what he delights in doing. Don't be ordinary. Verse 13. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, In the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Right on the surface, not a good idea. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day the evil spirit answered them. Notice the answer. Jesus I know, and Paul I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. You know what this one is? Paul had a reputation in hell, and that's what you want. You want him to know your name. I wondered in in, in preparing for this message if my name ever comes up in hell. I sure hope it does. These seven sons of the Jewish chief priest, they obviously didn't know the Lord. Jesus I know, and Paul I know about. We know his reputation, but who are you? And if they had known the Lord, they couldn't have gotten beat up by the enemy, because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. I wonder if they know your name in hell. If they don't, may that begin to change beginning today. I pray we all get a reputation in hell. Jesus I know, Danny Hodges I know about. I hope that's said somewhere in hell. And then verse 17. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear. 
and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. Do the simple math. A drachma was an average day's wage times 50,000. That's a lot of sorcery scrolls. That's a lot of repentance. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. After all this had happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Achaia. After I've been there, he said, I must visit Rome also. He sent two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, to Macedonia while he stayed in the province of Asia a little longer. About that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. He called them together, along with the workers in related trades. And he said, you know, my friends, that we receive a good income from this business. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. He says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. There's danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited. And the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. I call your attention to one statement, verse 26. You see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in the whole province of Asia. Here's the next characteristic about his life. Very fruitful. And with this one, I understand, and I hope you understand, that God hasn't called all of us to have the kind of large ministry fruit in terms of numbers that the Apostle Paul had. But with that said, check out this New Testament verse. We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. The next statement floors me every time I read it and think about it, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God knew in advance that for 32 years, senior pastor position at Calvary Chapel St. Pete would have Danny Hodges' fingerprint and nobody else's. It's what he called me to. And your fingerprint, nobody else's is like it. What does he have for you? He has something, and it's for you personally. Every believer, he has a plan. And he's laid out the plan before the beginning of time. That's what blows my mind. He chose us, and he prepared in advance. Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you may go and bear fruit. Now, what I love about this is I'm only responsible for the faithfulness of what God's called me to. I'll never stand before the judgment seat of Christ and be held accountable for what he's called you to. And you'll never stand before the judgment seat of Christ and be held accountable for what he's called me to. The parable of the talents. One got one, one got two, one got five. And they're only held accountable for what they were given. In the parable of the seed and the sower, Jesus said other seed fell on good soil, came up, grew, produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, and some 100 times according to the will of God. That's the idea. Well, Demetrius causes a riot. There's a great uproar in Ephesus. For two hours, they're chanting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Some people came to the the riot that happened in the city, and they said they didn't even know why they were there, just because the crowd was there. 
Paul's very thankful there's no record in the rest of the chapter that he got beat up here. The riot just kind of dies out. And then you pick it up in chapter 20, verse 1. When the uproar had ended, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, said goodbye and set out from Macedonia. He traveled throughout that area, speaking many words of encouragement to the people. And he finally arrived in Greece, where he stayed three months. Next characteristic, easy, from those couple of verses. He was an encourager. Some of you didn't know Pastor Vivian Laird. He went home to be with the Lord not too long ago. He was on our staff for years, Irish gentleman, wonderful guy, man of God, prayer warrior. And one of the things I miss most about him being with the Lord now is he was a constant encourager. You could not be around Pastor Viv Laird and not be encouraged. How many know that statement is true? Remember him. Look how many hands. He was such an encourager. Now, some people have the gift of encouragement. I don't have that one. I have more prophetic gifting. That's why you don't want to come to me for counsel. You say, well, then stop doing it. Stop doing that and get right. (laughs) You want me to stroke you and you want warm fuzzies? Don't come to my office. That's just not my gifting. Now, with that said, that's not an excuse because this is for me as well as any Christian. 2 Corinthians 13, 11, encourage one another. Hebrews takes it a step further. Encourage one another daily. I had several people, I'm sitting out here when people are coming in both services and I'm just, I'm just out there to be available. I'm sitting down because my feet hurt and, uh, and, I, and I sit behind the little ministry info when I go out there and I love meeting new people. I met this elderly couple last service, before the service, and they came in. They said, we've been here about a year. We retired, moved here. And they so encouraged me by what they said. Right after that, another mother came by and she needed encouragement. And she started breaking into tears telling me about challenge with her children. And hopefully I encouraged her. I needed to be encouraged, but I had an opportunity also to turn around and encourage. You know one of the greatest ways to encourage somebody? Share the truths in this book. I've done more funerals now than I can count. And whenever I'm confident that the funeral and the person I'm doing the service for is with the Lord, they were a believer, they were a Christian. Quite often, one of the scriptures I will share is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Talks about not being ignorant of those who have fallen asleep. That's the way it describes the believer having died. Now they're with the Lord. Their body's asleep. They're with the Lord. That's clear from scripture. But you go on and read there and say, we don't want you to be ignorant because when the trumpet sounds and Christ comes, we will not precede those who have fallen asleep. The dead in Christ will rise first and we will be gathered with them to meet the Lord in the air and we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, therefore, encourage one another with these words. Chapter five, it goes on, talks about the death of Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. One of the greatest ways you can encourage somebody is share with them the wonderful truths in this book. And then verse four, finally arrived in Greece and he was accompanied by Sopater, son of Pyrrhus from Berea, Aristarchus and Secundus from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derby. Timothy, who he picked up in the beginning of his second missionary journey, and Tychicus and Trophimus from the province of Asia. And here's the next one. He was a leader who influenced other leaders. These men's names, these are men who when Paul came through where they lived and he shared the word of God and he shared the gospel, they received Christ and even more than that, these men left whatever was behind whatever occupation they had, whatever family, and they became full-time ministers 
alongside one of the greatest apostles, apostles, the apostle Paul. He was a leader who influenced others to become leaders. Now, if you're dozing off, anybody asleep? Wake them up, because the next one, they want to they hear this next one especially. Chapter 20, verse 7. <laughs> On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, kept on talking until midnight. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting. Seated in the window was a young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story. That's where all the, the heat's going. and makes it even harder to stay awake up there because of the lamps. He fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up, get this, dead. I've put a lot of people to sleep over the years. But as far as I know, I've never killed anybody. The dude's dead. And Paul killed him. Paul went down, threw himself on the young man and put his arms around him. And I think he's praying, oh God. (laughs) Don't be alarmed, he said. He's alive. What a gracious God that the very man that died because of Paul just going on and on and on, God resurrected right on the spot. Then he went upstairs again, broke bread and he ate. After talking until daylight, he left. It's an all night message. Come on, give me some credit. I never kept you that long. People took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. You say, what are you going to get out of this one? He was lovingly (laughs) long-winded. He didn't talk all night just because he could. He didn't talk all night for his sake. His motive was for their sake. He wanted to encourage them. He wanted to get the word of God fresh in them. He wanted them to remain steadfast. He wanted them to be faithful. That was his motive. He had such limited time, and so he just kept on because he knew the next day he had to leave. You know what it says about Jesus? Mark 10, 1, crowds came to him, and as was his custom, he taught them because he loved them. Next characteristic, just one verse, verse 13. We went on ahead to the ship, sail for Asos, where we were going to take Paul aboard. He had made this arrangement because he was going there on foot. Why did he want to walk that section? Just to get exercise? I don't think so. It doesn't say it, but I believe when I get to heaven, get a chance to ask him about this verse. Say, was I right in suggesting in that message I did on this passage that you wanted to walk that section because you wanted to get along with God? And I think he's going to say, you got it, Pastor Danny. He spent time along with God. If you just grab this one, And make it a part of your life. What a difference it would make. I was so encouraged last weekend because in a recent message, I can't remember exactly when, I mentioned the little resource I did, one of the little booklets I've done. And this one called Spending Time with God, where I give some nuts and bolts of how to practically spend time with God. What does it look like? What do I do? And a fellow came up with me, fairly new, I think. And uh, he introduced himself. You know, I got your little booklet. I read it. and, And he's doing it. Last night after the service, fellow that I've known for years and years and years, and if I tell you too much, you guess who it is. And uh, for years, he didn't attend the church. His wife did, and we, she would ask people to pray for him. And for years, we prayed for him and finally started attending. He made a commitment to Christ. Long story made short. Last night, he was in the Saturday night service. He texted me after the service. He said, I want to encourage you. 
For the last three months, every day I've been reading my Bible personally and praying. I teared up. That's the first time I ever teared up from a text. And it's making such a difference in his life. I can see it. He's becoming like Christ. Please don't answer out loud. What time do you have pegged? Hopefully the goal is on a daily basis. We need daily bread. Every day has enough evil. And hopefully you do it in the morning. Doesn't mean you can't do it later, but you start in the morning because you need to go into the day with God. What time have you set aside to get along with God on a regular basis? And if you want the nuts and bolts of what that looks like, just pick up the little booklet because I don't have time to go into that now. Spending time with God. Revolutionize your life. And I'm amazed how many professing Christians don't do this. They don't do it. I beg you, do it. I don't understand why you wouldn't do this. Yes, it takes work. Yes, it takes discipline. But it's so worth it. You discipline yourself to get in a doggone shower. Hopefully you brushed your teeth this morning. Hopefully you did something to your hair. I did nothing to mine, but it's okay. I don't need to anymore. I took the, the cloth and rubbed over it this morning and then I was gone. Verse 22. And now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race, complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now, there's a lot of ways you could put this next one. Here's how I put it on the PowerPoint in my notes. Paul was all in for Christ. By the way, Jesus often would through the lonely places and prayed. He got along with his heavenly father. That's why Paul did it. And that's why we ought to do it. He was all in for Christ. Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. That's interesting in light of what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, 31. He said, I die every day, every day. And then the springboard from verse 24, my only aim is to finish the race and complete the task. And in his last recorded words, 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7, he said, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I kept the faith. He finished well. Unfortunately, I know many that aren't finishing well. God help us to finish well. And if you're still awake, verse 25, now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. He knows his time is short. Therefore, I declare to you today that I'm innocent of the blood of any of you, or I like the other translation, all men. I'm innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. I think Paul had to be thinking about Ezekiel chapter 3. This is the characteristic, innocent of the blood of all men. In Ezekiel 3, twice, verse 18 and verse 20, God says this, when I say to a wicked person, you'll surely die and you do not warn them or speak out to dissuade them from their evil ways in order to save their life. That wicked person will die for their sin and I'll hold you accountable for their blood. That's sobering verse. He says it again in verse 20. He says it again in Ezekiel chapter 33, verses six, and again in verse eight. All Paul's saying is, when God opened the door, Please understand that. You never have to shove Jesus down anybody's throat or up their nose. Paul said in Colossians, pray that God would open a door for our message. And if you pray for open doors in God's time and God's will, he'll give you an open door. You just got to be willing to share when the door opens. And all Paul's saying is every time God opened the door, I shared. Quite a thing to be able to say. And then verse 28. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock 
of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning you night and day with tears. That tells you his heart. And it is a true shepherd's heart. He wasn't in the ministry for the money. He wasn't in the ministry because he had to be in the ministry. And he had a heart like Jesus. He loved people. Peter said, be shepherds of God's flock that's under your care, not watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing. There's only two more. Verse 33, I've not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. And everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, I don't know what you might take away from those couple of verses, but here's what I took away. Paul practiced what he preached. Saul of Tarsus The Pharisee, as religious as he was, did not. How do I know that? Because of what Jesus said about the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. They sit in Moses' seat. They've been given a position of authority. So he says to his disciples, you must do what they say, but don't do what they do, for they don't practice what they preach. Paul the apostle was different than Saul of Tarsus, the Pharisee. He practiced what he preached. And then one last one, but it's an important one too. Verse 36, when Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and he prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again until heaven. Then they accompanied him to the ship. Just the first part of verse 1, chapter 21, after we had torn ourselves away from them, we put out to sea. After we had torn ourselves away from them. What does that tell you about Paul? His closest family was the family of God. Closest family was the family of God. And if that's going to be true, and that's a whole message in itself, you got to get plugged in. You got to become relational in the body of Christ to the point that you can actually live out the verse, forgive as Christ has forgiven you. Because you're going to find out when you become relational, they're just as imperfect as you are. No matter how many years they've been walking with the Lord, we all stumble in many ways. Closest family was the family of God. And in that, he was just like Christ. One occasion, Christ is in a house and there's a bunch of people there. His disciples are in the inner circle around him. Mother Mary and his brothers come to the door And they say, Mary said, I'd like to see my son. We'd like to see him. So the message is given to Jesus. Uh, Your mother and brother's outside. They want to see you. You know what he said? Here's what he said. Who are my mother and my brothers? Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him, his closest disciples. Here are my mother and my brothers. He wasn't being disrespectful to Mother Mary or to his earthly family. He was just stating a truth about his life. He went on to say in this passage, he who does the will of God is my mother and sister and brother. There you have it. What you do with it is up to you. The living 
The book of Acts details the birth of the church as we know it today. Before Jesus came, the only way to worship God was in a temple, with sacrifices at the ready and only speaking to him through another person. Jesus changed that. Now everyone has direct access to the King of Kings. We can speak to him through our prayers and even hear directly back from him in our own spirit. This is thanks to the gift of the Holy Spirit, who is received as soon as we give our lives to Jesus. Today, you too can have the Holy Spirit flowing through you and giving you the guidance and hope you desire. We'd love to tell you more about this. Send us a quick email at info at ccfstpete.church and we'll get back to you as soon as possible. You can connect with us on social media as well. Find The Living Word on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter and jump into the conversations there. Find links to all of these at our website, ccfstpete.church. Are you in the St. Petersburg area? We would love to meet you. Every message you hear on The Living Word comes from a teaching that Pastor Danny Hodges has shared at Calvary Chapel Fellowship and you're invited to join us for our weekly services. Our church is filled with imperfect people being made holy by our perfect creator, and we know that you'll fit right in. Find directions at our website. Again, that's ccfstpete.church. With that, our time with you has officially come to an end. Pastor Danny will lead us deeper into the book of Acts when you join us next time, right here on The Living Word.